Well, thank you. Let's uh, take our Bibles and please open to the Gospel of John again, John chapter 12, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Thank you to all of you that have uh, reached and expressed your concern to our oldest, Abe, who broke his arm this past week at a church function. (laughs) Uh, He is doing doing well, right, Abe? Uh, One of the one of the good things that's come from this is his brothers have had an opportunity to serve him. Uh, and I've particularly appreciated how they put his socks and shoes on him. That is wonderful. Would you look with me at uh, John 12? And we're just going to do uh, 27 through 36 today. The context, again, is Jesus has gone through Palm Sunday verses 12 through 19. Last week, uh, we really zeroed in on verse 24, where he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so he is heading towards the cross, of which he will die for the sins of the world. We might ask ourselves, well, how is he doing with that news? and What's his emotions like as he is approaching that cross? Verse 27 reads, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowds answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Father, we thank you now again for your scripture, these truths here today. I think are a true gift to us to see that indeed Jesus is not only God, but he was also fully man. And as a result, he experienced the same emotions and the hungers and the thirst that we have. He was led to weeping and and, and sadness like we can be as well. And here in this passage, we actually see that his soul was troubled. And as we glance at these words and understand that he experienced emotions like we do, would you enable us to, to follow by the Holy Spirit's power his example of overcoming these emotions towards obedience to the true calling of his life, and may we do the same to the calling on our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
To be human is to feel. A baby cries in fear when they are born into this strange world. They are later comforted by the embrace of their mother and father. As a toddler, they throw temper tantrums when their toy is taken from them. But then they are delighted at Christmas morning when they receive new toys. Their stomach is tied in knots when they step onto the school bus for the very first time. And then they experience the warm sensation of their first crush. Insecurity, identity crisis, and pimples cloud the teen years. And satisfaction and a sense of accomplishment is felt on their graduation day. They walk both with excitement and fear into their wedding day and both elation and anxiety when the news that she is expecting is first heard. The parenting years are mixed with fears. First, joys of being overwhelmed and consternation and also thankfulness. And the later years may be mixed with regrets and appreciation. What would life be like without our feelings or emotions? If life were a painting, then the feelings would be the color that prompts us to pause and gaze with appreciation. If our life was like a poem, then our emotions are the music that creates a melodious song. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a full array of timing for these emotions, There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. There is a problem, isn't there, with our feelings? Like everything in our world, they have been infected by sin. The sun can be shining. We could have great health. All of our bills are paid. There is no strain in any of our relationships And we can be gloomy, down in the dumps for no apparent reason. And we can be overjoyed at the news of an enemy of ours who gets into an auto accident or gets fired from a job. Think about that, being excited about someone else's trouble. In the same way, we can be crippled with fear at the thought of obeying God and a clear commandment that is laid out for us in the Scriptures. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. That is, a a fool does not have any sort of filter on his emotions, but just... Let's them fly. I remember several years ago, our boys, uh, I would take them to a, a big box a home improvement store that on the, it was like the first or last Saturday of the month, they would always have these workshops. And it was a way for me to get them out and, and to work on their hands and build a birdhouse or something like that. And it was free. So I mean, it checked all the boxes for me. And on this particular store, there was a vendor there, and they would have popcorn 
And I'm telling you, that, that popcorn just filled that store with this great aroma, and it was just drawing everyone to it. And one day, the oldest had, had gotten some popcorn, so he had told one of the other boys, man, yeah, it's fun, but wait till you see the popcorn. It tasted, it's really good. Well, we had went to the store that day, and we went to the workshop. For some reason, it didn't work out. And there was maybe some attitudes or some emotions that were not in check. And so we were walking by that popcorn stand, and we walked right by it without pausing. And one of the boys, with his emotions really frustrated, he said to his dad, me, he said, Dad, you know what my favorite part of the day was? What's that, son? Nothing. <laughs> He had given full vent to his emotions. Well, last week we looked here at John 12, 24, where Jesus is speaking about, this is why I've come. Like a full grain into the earth that dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And as we look at this passage today, we have to be struck with the honesty of Jesus. Because he says there in verse 27, now is my soul troubled? Does that surprise anyone here today? That this great God, who was present at creation, according to Colossians 1, holds creation together in pure honesty would disclose to us that his soul was troubled. That word troubled there in Greek is the word terasso. It means to be upset, to experience turmoil, to be unsettled, to be stirred up. We actually read this word in John chapter 5. You might remember that story of the invalid that was waiting for someone to take him down to the pool. There was a superstition that if there was an angel that stirred the waters that the first sick person that went down to that pool could be healed. That word stirred there is the word terrasso. This is what it means that Jesus is experiencing where his stomach is in knots. He is troubled. He is upset. Perhaps he's experiencing butterflies. The question for us is why is a soul troubled? And there's been a few different reasons provided by Bible teachers. One is they say he's, he's concerned that this great gospel message that he is going to leave and entrust to his followers, the disciples, will be fumbled. And as a result, he is upset that they're going to mess it up. There's another strain of thought that says actually what Jesus is speaking about here as he anticipates the cross is the physical pain that he will endure. I'm not sure that it's any of those. I think it's more likely that as he sees the cross, he sees the time in which the Father will turn his back on him and he will absorb the sins of all of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake... God made Jesus, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, as he foresees the coming moments here, he is seeing the time in which he will be sin for you and for I. 
Paul wrote in a later place in Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As he looks to the future, as he looks to the future, he sees that Jesus himself is about ready to be a curse for us. Now, Jesus knew that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew that he had come to seek and to save the lost. But as he considers it, he knows that there is the wrath of the world's sins that awaits him. Probably many in our room, if not all, can remember a time when you were a child, or maybe you're a child even right now. And you can remember a time where you've broken the law in your home, and you've done something or disobeyed what your dad had asked you to do. And you knew that in a matter of hours, he would be coming home to bring justice or discipline to you. It's so that day drags on as you await for him to administer punishment or discipline. And your thoughts are like, let's just get this over with. I want to get this on so I can move on with my life. Well, Jesus is at that moment now where he is just awaiting, not his own judgment, but your judgment. And as a result, as it says here, his soul is troubled. So how does he address these emotions? Well, as we look at this passage, I think we'll see four different things. Let's consider first, he examines his emotions. He examines his emotions. As we look here at verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What an incredible insight that we have here. We have the honesty of Jesus that he is being troubled. His soul, these feelings are are tying him in knots. They're circulating around him. He is not subjected to the fallenness of the emotions that we have. He is without sin. But nonetheless, his soul is troubled. And so he asks this question out loud. Well, what should I do? Should I submit to what these feelings are telling me to avoid the cross? No. Why would you save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He evaluates these emotions. They are causing him to consider, is it worth going to the cross? But as he brings them out, and he examines them carefully, he realizes that his emotions cannot be trusted. These feelings are wrong. They will keep him from doing what God has asked him to do. By the way, this isn't the only place in the Scriptures we see this. The psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 11, is having a down day. And he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. A fool just is guided and gives in to their emotions. But a wise person will pause and examine them. 
Can these emotions right now be trusted? A wise person will allow the Word of God to guide them. Someone has said this. I wasn't able to to track down the original person, but you've probably heard this. Emotions make a good servant, but a bad master. Emotions may be like color to a painting or music to poetry, but they can lead us to disobey. Man, I've, I've heard people say, I might be a Christian, and, and that person over there might not be a Christian, but I feel like it's the right thing to date them. Or I am married right now, but I feel like the right thing to do is to seek a divorce. And our feelings can betray us. If we want to get control of our emotions, the first thing we do here by, by Jesus' example is we must first evaluate them. Is what I am feeling actually true? The second thing we see here in this passage is that Jesus prays through his troubled soul. You look at there again at verse 28. What he does with this troubled soul is he goes into prayer. Father, glorify your name. We see this in other places in the scriptures as well. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So instead of giving in to anxiety, Jesus is modeling here for us that he goes to pray. He prays to the Father. God, my feelings are apprehensive at this time. I know what you are calling me to do, but my stomach is in knots. And we see here in this passage that Jesus is not a robot. He gets us. In Hebrews 5, verse 7, it says, In the days of his or Jesus' flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And those of you who know this story of Jesus anticipating the cross, is this the only time he prays in preparation for it? It is not. There are times when we might be flooded with emotions or feelings and we offer up a prayer and say, as I I have examined these feelings, these are not true. I can't trust these. So, Lord, I'm going to pray to you. And there may come times where God just lifts those feelings. But there are other times where we need to pray through those. Keep your finger here. Would you turn with me to the left? to one of the other Gospels, Mark chapter 14. I want you to see this. Because after this, he will go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we will see that he will continue to pray through this. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, and then I'll just read all the way up to 39. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Listen to what verse 34 says. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. 
And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And look at verse 39. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. We could also look at Luke 22, verse 44. Same context there in in Gethsemane where being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. In this troubled soul state for Jesus, he not only prayed once, but he prayed repeatedly through it. This is an invitation to ongoing prayer. Loved ones, you want to overcome these emotions. The first thing we see Jesus doing is he examines these feelings. The second thing we see him doing is he prays through them. He doesn't trust them. He's going to trust his Father. That leads me to the third one here. And that is Jesus returns to the one he trusts. When you look at this prayer in verse 28, the first word is Father. Father, glorify your name. Father, my heart is troubled right now. I am coming to you because you are trustworthy. Now, when I use the word return here, I'm not saying at all that Jesus has strayed. I'm just saying that in his moment, when his soul is troubled, because he trusts the Father, that's where he is going to place his life. It is a tender word that expresses the bond between a dad and a son. Can I just give you some advice now? Take the time now to get to know God in the good times and then trust Him when your soul is troubled. Jesus returns to this language in the time of trouble. He's not sorting out whether He can trust God as the storm blows in. No, He has already established that. Now that the winds are blowing, he goes to the Father as his shelter. In a few months, the cold winds of February will be blowing across the bay. And if I have it my way, I'll be out there ice fishing. And I have a a six-man tent, probably uh, fishes three comfortably. And I've got two options on a really windy day as I'm setting that up. The first option is to go ahead and set that tent up completely in the 20-mile-an-hour winds and then try to anchor it down. I've tried that. (laughs) And it doesn't take long, and it cartwheels across the bay, and it won't be long, and it's going down the Fox to Voyager Park. The second option is, even before I set that up, is to begin to anchor it down because I know the winds are going to blow. And once it's anchored down, then begin to set it up. I want to give you a little helpful, I think, some doctrine right now. Let me give you a few anchors that you can put your life in. And it goes back to some attributes of God. The first is this, is that God is 
sovereign. I have a little definition there in your outline that says that God rules. Nothing happens or can happen apart from His will. Nothing can happen to us that does not pass through God's own hand. This is a truth of who God is that we can anchor our lives to. Tim Challies in his book, Seasons of Sorrow, speak of how the sovereignty of God can serve one of his own like a pillow at night. And when the storms and when trouble blow into your life and you're like, I can't believe all this stuff is taking place, each night you can put your head on this, that God is sovereign, that nothing is happening in your life right now that God has not allowed There's a second attribute that I want to tell you about as well. Because if God is just sovereign, that's one thing, but God could be a tyrant. He could be angry. So we need to pair that attribute with another one that we see expressed in the Scriptures, and that is that God is also good. And that is that all that God is and all that He does is worthy of of approval. You see, God defines what is good. And if God is sovereign and He allows events that take place in our life and God is good, then we can rest on this, that everything that God has allowed is ultimately for our good. And I'm just saying to you, loved ones, that if you're not in a storm right now, then likely one is over the horizon. And just as difficult as it would be for me to try to anchor that tumbling uh, ice fishing tent on the bay in February as it's cartwheeling across the bay and I'm trying to anchor it down, if you don't settle these things now, when the storm blows in your life and you're trying to wrestle with who God is and can I trust Him and is He really in control... It's going to be difficult. So in this time now, settle into this, that God is sovereign and that God is good. Settle these deep into your heart and your soul that you will be anchored and not be tumbling with the winds of adversity. And then finally, fourthly, let me give you this. Jesus overcomes his troubled soul when he chooses to glorify his Father. Let's just look at that prayer again in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. My soul is troubled right now. I know that I can't trust these feelings. So I've examined them and they're actually leading me to disobey you. So I'm not going to do that. So I'm coming to you in prayer And and I can trust you. You are my Father. You are sovereign and you are good. And I'm going to stand on that now. And it's going to lead me to obey. I'm going to worship you. You've put me here on this earth to seek and to save the lost. To serve. To give my life as a ransom for many. So as a result of that, I am going to glorify you. There's a diagram that's made its rounds for many, many years. It's Campus Crusade for Christ. It's got this little train. You've probably seen it before. But I think it's a helpful illustration. 
It says this is how we are to live. At the front of that train is the truth or the fact. And for Jesus, the fact is that God had sent him to this earth for this reason. To seek and to save the lost. To give his life as a ransom for many. So his faith was in that. He was going to trust the Father. And his feelings may not have felt that at moment. His soul was troubled, but his feelings had had a low priority. I'm going to trust the reason you've sent me, Father. And I'm going to place my faith in that. I might not feel it right now, but eventually those feelings will catch up. And indeed they will. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Eventually, by following that fact, by faith, it will lead to joy, but not at this moment. It will have to catch up. Could you imagine with me for a moment, loved ones, if you had this order reversed and it was feelings that were leading the train of your life, what would that be like? Some of you are saying what my life is like right now. I want to say we cannot trust our feelings. We can trust the Word of God, the fact And by faith, trust and place your life into it. And eventually, your feelings will catch up. As we look at the rest of this passage, and let me just cover it quickly. He offers this prayer, Father, glorify your name, verse 28. And then a voice came from heaven. This is the third time this takes place in the Gospels. One at his baptism another at his transfiguration, and now this voice says, the very word of God says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. We see that uh, Jesus glorified the Father at the incarnation. Do you remember when the shepherds were out in the fields and the angels said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he pleased. So he had glorified it once, But he says here, I will glorify it again, and indeed he will. In Revelation chapter 5, where there was this song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And listen, by your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God. And for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus' death and resurrection allows people to worship God. People from all over the world, all different people groups, Americans here in Green Bay and the Casa people on Neomoon Island in Senegal. Eventually they will all worship Him. And then we see here, as they heard this voice, in verse 29, there were some that says there must be a natural or logical explanation. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. There must be some spiritualized explanation. In verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And this is why I've come, verse 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. 
Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see that his arrival brings judgment to the world. People are judging him right now, but eventually he will judge them. And by his arrival, the rule of this world will be cast out into a a lake of fire in the book of Revelation. And verse 32, his death, his resurrection draws those who are his to him that they might experience eternal life. Verse 33 says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die on a cross. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The people at this time thought, our Messiah, he is going to be a political one. He'll be strong. He will not demonstrate any sort of weakness or death. And Jesus has come and saying that he has come to die. Verse 35, Jesus responds, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And so we see in this that forgiveness of sins is available to those who come to Jesus. This Jesus, whom we herald, who we worship, who we sing, who we teach about, who we even pray to, is one that is so passionate to worship his Father. Not only this, but he is so loving towards you that he is willing to stand against the enemies of this world, of the devil, and even his feelings and emotions today in order that you might be saved from your sins. Today we see he is not only our Savior, but he is also our our example of how to overcome feelings and emotions. It's my privilege just to extend the same invitation that he extends to the reader of John 12 to come and to be saved from your sins. Imagine there was a loving father that has a whole bunch of children. And in that home, there's, these children are defiant, they are disobedient, they are rebellious, and they do their own things, all except for one of them. And they all know that the father is coming back after work, and he's going to discipline them. And when he arrives, he says, what did you do? And they all tell him their sins. And he says, well, you know that there's a penalty to pay for this. And then the one child that actually obeyed and didn't sin says, Daddy, I'll take the punishment that all my siblings deserve so that they might be free. And that's what Jesus did. He has come to take your sins upon him. He became the curse. He became the sin that you might receive the righteousness from God. Would you receive that today? As our music team comes, I'd like to lead us in a prayer. Not only a prayer that you would uh, be further equipped to overcome emotions, but I, I think a prayer of invitation. That if you have never placed your life into the hands of God and never sought Him for forgiveness, that you would do it today. Would you pray with me? Just bow your head.
Lord, I thank you for such an honest book. And then God's, your, your insight. You wanted us to see that these emotions are a wonderful thing. But there are times where they can get in the way of us obeying. And we see here in the life of Jesus where he was faced with a troubled soul. But he didn't give in to disobedience. He just pressed forward. And we're so grateful that he did. Now we admit that we don't always do that. And we're going to pray that you would help us to understand your word clearer. We would be able to pause and examine the emotions that we're experiencing. And like him, maybe even speak out loud. What what would you want me to do? Disobey God? That's what these emotions are seemingly leading me to do. We would be driven to prayer. Not just one prayer, but as we see in the life of Jesus, continual prayer. Praying through a difficult time. We would ultimately be able to go back to trusting in you, who you are. You're sovereign. You're good. You're, You're loving to us. You're tender. You care about us. And that would just lead us to step into obedience. Today, I pray for those who have never become a Christian. They've been waiting. Maybe maybe they've been religious. But today is the day that they really need a defining moment to say, I'm going to trust Jesus today. And so if that's you and you're either viewing online or listening on audio or, or you're here present today, I'm going to lead it in prayer. There's nothing magical about this but you could pray something like this Lord I'm like that disobedient child that has done things their way I have rebelled and I am sorry I deserve punishment I deserve death Bible speaks about a hell. That, that's what I deserve. I understand that Jesus has come and he took what I deserved upon him. And that's the only thing I'm going to trust in is what Jesus has done for me. All of my weight, everything in my life, I'm, I'm banking on that. Come into my life. Rule my life. Call the shots. Rule my attitudes, my emotions, my thoughts, decisions, all of that. I I give to you. I want to be led by you and your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.